Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, good morning. My name is David. If I've not met you, I'm the lead pastor here at Apostles, and especially if today is your first Sunday with us, I want to welcome you. Uh, if you are here with us this morning and you are five years old up through second grade, I especially want to welcome you and invite you uh, to join us for what we call Kids Time. So anybody that's in that age range uh, from uh, five up through second grade, you can come right over here to Miss Artis and join her, and she'll, she would love to talk with you more about Jesus this morning and then do some fun things, and you'll come back in and do communion with us in just a little while. So yeah, y'all can come on down. There you go. Good job. And um, if you want to grab a Bible this morning uh, from the seat back in front of you, we are going to be looking at the words I just read from Matthew chapter 9. Oh, thank you, Bennett. And if you are third grade and up, uh, we're excited that you're in here and you can come see Mr. Ryan right here and he would love to give you an activity bag and a sermon scavenger hunt. So if that's you, uh, if you're in here this morning, if you're uh, grade three and up, you can come see Pastor Ryan. So y'all come over here and see Pastor Ryan. He'll give you your activity bag. All right. Uh, so this, uh, this summer, we have been going through a series called Encounters with Jesus. And we've been looking at different people who had these run-ins, these encounters with Jesus. And what does it reveal about Jesus? And what does it reveal about these people? And what can we learn uh, from these episodes in the Gospels. And this morning, we come to another one of these encounters uh, where Jesus encounters a man named Matthew. And so we're gonna look at that together this morning. If you wanna look at verse nine, it's interesting to me uh, that this uh, really is the story. And then there's some commentary kind of that follows that that tells you kind of the result of what happens with this encounter. But the encounter itself is very brief. So verse nine, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. And that's the story. That's the whole encounter. And it would be easy, I think, to kind of let the brevity fool us. Uh, to look at this and be like, okay, great, hmm, not much to see here, let's move on in the story. But I think there's actually a whole lot going on here. And so I wanna camp out on these uh, words here in Matthew chapter nine, verse nine, and then we'll look at kind of the result, what happened afterwards. But if, uh, if we're looking at this, uh, this episode in the life of Jesus and the life of Matthew together, I want us to ask three simple questions as we go uh, through this. The first is, who is Matthew? Uh, the second is, what is Jesus doing here? And then the third is, how does Matthew respond? So three simple questions uh, as we look at it. So let's look at the first question. Who is Matthew? Uh, well, we're told one thing about him, and that tells us a lot. What are we told about Matthew? He's a tax collector. Now, in our summer series, we've run into tax collectors before. Anybody name a tax collector we ran into already? Zacchaeus, yeah, so we, we've kind of run into this crew before, and Matthew is another member of this, uh, this special group of people called tax collectors. 
And so everything we talked about with Zacchaeus kind of applies generally here with Matthew. And so what we find out, he's a tax collector. He's sitting here at his, his tax collecting booth. And if we had been living in Jesus' day, several key words would have come to mind with, uh, with uh, this being queued up tax collector. We would have thought traitor. We would have thought collaborator with the Romans. We would have thought uh, morally corrupt. We would have thought sinner. We might have thought evil. We might have thought cheat, liar. All these things would have come to mind as soon as we heard the words that Matthew is a tax collector. See, when the Romans had conquered Israel in the 60s BC, they had set up puppet governments in Israel to do two main things. One is to enforce Roman law. And the second was to collect taxes. And so Matthew is a part of this puppet system. And it's important to realize that Matthew is Jewish. So he is a part of the conquered people, but now he has made the decision. He's been recruited to serve as a tax collector, which means he's chosen to work with the brutal Roman Empire to help extort and oppress his own people. He's made that choice. So just pause and think about what kind of person Matthew must be, right? We're not told anything about how this happened in his life. But I imagine there must have been a series of events that led him to making this kind of choice, to be a, a traitor to his own people, to collaborate with his oppressors. Somehow, in the story of his family and his experience of his culture, and even in his relationship with God himself, something has gone terribly wrong. My guess is he'd experienced some significant pain, significant conflict and disappointments in his life that had made him hungering for something he didn't have. And Rome came along and offered a means to some end, whether it's to get rich or to be secure or whatever it might have been that he was hungry for. Rome became the means, and being a tax collector became his new identity. And so he was content on some level with being despised, being cast out, being outside and no longer inside as a member of his people. So when Jesus, Jesus, a respected Jewish rabbi, doing incredible miracles and announcing that he's come to bring the long way to kingdom of God, walks over to a tax collector's booth and says to Matthew, a tax collector, a traitor to God and his own people, follow me. It is a complete scandal. It's a total scandal. Jesus crosses all kinds of social, political, moral boundaries here when he does the simple act, the revolutionary act in some ways, of inviting Matthew to follow him. So that's just a sketch a little bit about who is this Matthew. Second question we want to ask is, well, if that's all true, then what in the world is Jesus doing? He's just trying to stir the pot? Does he just want to kind of upset the status quo? Is, is Jesus doing something here that we want to pay attention to that applies to us as 21st century followers of Jesus? What is he doing? It's interesting to me that there's only one other occasion in the Gospels when Jesus explicitly seeks out someone to invite them to follow him. Lots of people generally... Different circumstances implicitly, but explicitly, the only other time that I could find where Jesus does this kind of thing, walks over and says, follow me, just like that, is when he calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John, that group. Now, 
In other words, what my point is, is this is not just some random invitation that just happens all the time. I think, I think this is unusual in some degree, to some, in some regard. Jesus is being very intentional when he walks every step he takes towards that tax collector's booth. He's not just, oh, how about you? <laughs> he sees Matthew. He knows who he is, and he walks over, and he invites him to follow him. So basically, what is Jesus doing here? Well, I think he's messing with our understanding of something very fundamental, of who is in and who is out. He wants to mess with our understanding of who is in and who is out. He is redefining, in other words, what it means to be a part of God's people, God's family, God's kingdom. And so if we understand that, it should make us uncomfortable. So part of my goal this morning is to make us a little uncomfortable. Jesus made the religious elites of his day very uncomfortable. The Pharisees thought they knew exactly who was in and exactly who was out. They thought they understood. The Jews are in. They're born into God's covenant people. They faithfully observe the Torah, God's instructions. They remain pure. And so they are in. And people like Matthew who have abandoned those things are out. And so are all the Gentiles. That's clear. It's in and out. That's simple. But Jesus turns all of that upside down. He starts messing with categories. And he invites all the wrong people into God's new community. In Matthew 10... Jesus chooses 12 of his closest followers and and we're told that in this list of his 12, there's Matthew, a tax collector, who chooses to follow him and not just follow him, but become one of the 12. And then also in this group is someone named Simon the Zealot. Now, to say that he was a zealot is a really key identifier. What we're being told here is that basically Simon is a Jewish revolutionary who hates Rome with a passion, has trained and cultivated his whole life to resist oppression at any cost, even the cost of his own life. He hates Rome and anyone who's affiliated with Rome. So what does that mean he feels about Matthew? He hates Matthew and everyone like him. And he's sworn to actually do whatever it takes to get rid of the Matthews, to purify God's people. And so do you think he and Matthew are best buddies? I bet they had some hard conversations as they walked along the road with Jesus. This is crazy what Jesus is doing here. He's putting together these kinds of people living in close community together on extremely different ends of the spectrum in their world. They would have hated each other And yet here they are both following Jesus and drawing closer and closer to one another in the process. Jesus, in other words, is forming around himself a community that does not fit anyone's idea of who should be a part or in God's people. And he's still doing that today. And it should mess with us. It should mess with our categories. It should cause us to really think carefully about what we are doing here as a community called Church of the Apostles about what we are trying to do when we say, hey, we're getting together with our life group. It should make us think hard and long about what it means when I say, I'm a follower of this Jesus. Because Jesus is challenging us. He's challenging me. And so I I wanna take just a few moments and kind of camp out on this, this understanding, this different understanding of Jesus when it comes to community. 
to what community actually is around this idea of ins and outs. And my hope is what, what this conversation will do this morning is prompt new thinking and questions for us as a community as we follow Jesus together. Questions that make us look to Jesus and the community he is building as our guide for what we want to be here at Apostles. And so let's take, uh, let's take a term that we use pretty regularly to talk about our, uh, our, our community here. We say we're a community following Jesus in Houston, seek to be with, become like, and do the kinds of things that Jesus did. That's kind of our tagline. And then we talk about that in terms of family. We, we talk about being a family and living together as family. Now here's a question. Has anybody ever been to a family reunion? Raise your hand if you've ever been to a family reunion. Okay. So you, you, will, you will nail this question. Who gets invited to a family reunion? Family, right? It's pretty clear cut. In other words, uh, no one's gonna call me up as good a friend as I may be to you. No one's gonna call me up and say, hey, you need to come to my family reunion, right? I, I would be honored, but I probably would say no. I have my own family. You have your own family. It's clear who's in and who is out right? So everyone that's related in a family, related by blood or marriage or some kind of familial connection, in other words, that union is a bounded union, right? A a group of people who are defined by particular traits. And that is in the, the math theory world called a bounded set. So a family in some sense is a bounded set. These are people uh, who are in our family and these are people who are not in our family. This is the bounded set. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is actually how I think we tend to think about church. We tend to think about church as a bounded set with really clear boundaries. Now the Pharisees thought about the people of God this way. To be in means you have met certain requirements to be in the bounded set. Uh, it could be a shared experience of salvation or agreed moral behavior or different religious practices and habits. And these can all be good things, important things, and necessary things, I would say, even. Jesus commends these kinds of things. He says, I didn't come to abolish all of these things. I came to fulfill these things. So what, what tends to happen, though, over time with church communities is that the line between who is in and who is out gets thicker and thicker and thicker. We add on and add on and add on and churches begin to have all these requirements for who is in and who is out. Now, for example, I grew up Baptist. I did not grow up in the Anglican world. And so as a uh, former card-carrying Baptist, I can pick on the Baptist here for just a minute, all right? So I grew up Baptist uh, in the South, and one of the things, growing up Baptist, uh, that was a clear boundary you didn't cross was the consumption of alcohol. It was complete abstinence, is what was expected, as a defining attribute of our community. Abstain from alcohol, and you're in, right? Drink a beer, you're out. And so don't drink, don't smoke, and don't date girls who do. That was the mantra, right? <laughs> That's how I grew up. It's a Baptist thing. Church, churches of all stripes, though, have these things, right? They, they, they have these kind of accretions that build on, and they can come from any number of things, politics and ideology, 
Uh, it can be about economics. It can be social issues. It can be cultural preferences. You know, I, I think the pandemic, if it showed us anything, it showed us uh, the power of these kinds of accretions and what they can do in terms of community. People left churches not because the gospel wasn't being preached. People left churches not because of moral failures and leadership. People left churches all over our city, all over our nation, because people disagreed about masks. So just think about that. What does that tell us about ourselves? What does it tell us when we disagree about politics, even though we agree on Christ and the gospel, and we say we cannot walk together? So we elevate and elaborate the boundaries to determine who belongs and who doesn't. Now, I think the real question is, why do we do that? Why are we so prone to doing that? I think on the one hand, it just makes us feel in control. We crave control. Ever since the garden, we wanted to be in control. And it's also, it helps it feel cleaner and, and, and clearer. It's not as messy. I'm in and you're out. But the problem is, that's not how Jesus did community. And if we're serious about following him, then his version of community is not like a bounded set. Not in that way. It's more like what mathematicians call a centered set. You guys didn't know you were going to get math this morning. Uh, so imagine, here, here's the idea of a centered set. Imagine Jesus is standing in the middle uh, here. And what happens is um, that you begin to locate different people kind of all over uh, a map with, with kind of expanding, um, uh, expanding into a field. But what's key is Jesus is in the center, right? And so for Jesus, what defines community then is not whether or not you have certain attributes or accomplishments that make you in a boundary or out of a boundary. It's all about your relationship to him. It's about your relationship to the center, to Jesus. Pastor Tim Mackey uh, sums it up this way, I think really helpful. He says, for Jesus, the question is never, am I in or am I out? The fundamental question is about movement. Am I moving towards this Jesus Christ who is Lord, this Messiah King? Or am I moving away? Am I moving towards or away? So again, to illustrate, uh, this is uh, maybe a helpful analogy. I'm just curious, how many of y'all play an instrument? Anybody in here play an instrument? Okay, good. So even if you've ever just picked up an instrument, I think you'll be able to relate to this. Uh, now, th those of you who said uh, you, you play an instrument, keep your hand up. I wanna see what happens. Real high, real high. Okay, so how many of you would call yourself a musician? Okay, it's just interesting. I just, you know, it's kind of a self-awareness kind of thing. Um, so how do you define who's a musician, right? If you play guitar, um, but you don't get paid money to do it, are you still a musician? Or is that what defines who's a musician? You're professional. Uh, do you have to be really good? What if you're just really bad at guitar? Are you still count as a musician? If so, I'm, I'm a musician. Uh, <laughs> Do you have to perform public? Is it just a private thing? The question of, of, of your identity, in other words, as a musician really revolves around one question. It's not whether or not you meet certain kind of fine-tuned criteria. It's, is there kind of movement? 
is there, is there a progression, a movement towards the center of, in this case, being a capable or even a good guitar player? And so you may have just picked up a guitar a few weeks ago and no one wants to hear you banging away at it, but you love it and you keep working at it and you're moving towards the center. You may have been playing for years and you want to get better and better and you're moving towards the center. Conversely, maybe you're really good at guitar and you never pick it up anymore. You're not moving towards the center. You're not getting better. You're not becoming more of a guitar player. You're moving away. And so it's, it's not a perfect analogy, but it kind of helps me conceptually, right? It's not about whether you're in or out. It's about movement towards Jesus. I think it's a helpful way to think about it. So let's think about this in terms of the church. What determines if you are a follower of Jesus? It's not certain criteria. It's about your movement towards Jesus as the center. So that means you could be way out there like Matthew, someone who doesn't meet any religious criteria at all. But you are moving towards Jesus. Or you could meet a bunch of religious criteria and know a lot about Jesus, but not really know him or be committed to him as the center of your life. And so you're actually moving away from Jesus. See, Jesus' call was follow me. Follow me means believe, but not just mental assent. It means trust. Come with me. Let me be the center So for Jesus, it's not about who's in or out or who qualifies or measures up. It's about movement towards or away from him as the center of all things. Another way to say it is it's about faith. And again, faith not as mental assent, but as trust and obedience. The reality is that this way of community is really complex and messy in a lot of ways. It doesn't have the benefit of being clear cut, I'm in and you're out. How do you draw a boundary around who's in and who's out with this kind of reality? With with this way, it's clear you're in and you're out, but with, with the centered approach, it's not so clear. It's kind of mixed up at times, but this is more true to the community that Jesus was working to create. And stories like Jesus' encounter here with Matthew, I think, help us to see that. Here's the bottom line. For Jesus, it's not about whether you are in or out. It's about the reality that Jesus is seeking after you and inviting you to come follow him into life with him. It's not about whether you meet certain religious criteria or hold certain views. It's about responding to his grace and his truth and his love that he's extending to all of us. It's about whether or not you are moving towards Jesus as your savior and your Lord. So here's the third and final question with all that in mind. How does Matthew respond to all of this? That's what Jesus is doing. How does Matthew respond? When I read the story of Matthew's call, I wish, I wish they had told us more than one verse. I, I wanna ask Matthew so many questions about his experience that day, about his story, about how he came to that moment and what it felt like. Clearly something was going on with him and God. So as soon as he had this personal encounter with Jesus, he was all in. So maybe he'd been watching and listening to Jesus from afar. Maybe God had been doing something through a series of events in his life. I don't know. But what's clear is that in some way God was at work. Because despite all the things we know about Matthew, 
that by all appearances, he was far away from God, as far as anybody could be. He jumped up from a tax booth and he followed Jesus. He was transformed by the encounter. And so look at what happens in the aftermath. Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, it's Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. The next thing we know, Jesus is at a party at Matthew's house with all of Matthew's friends. This is getting crazier and crazier, right? No wonder the Pharisees show up and are like, you cannot do this. This is totally inappropriate. Remember who Matthew is to everybody else, right? And Jesus is totally unbothered by any of that. He's unbothered by the kind of person Matthew is, and he ends up at his house. The mercy of God, in other words, has drawn Matthew and his friends to Jesus. And to the outside world, it's scandalous, taboo. Again, Jesus is blowing up all kinds of boundaries, who's in and who's out. And it's not just Matthew, right? It's all, it's all his friends, other tax collectors and sinners. As Matthew, how beautiful is this? As Matthew is moving towards Jesus, he's introducing all his friends to the same Jesus. Those outside are being brought near. Which makes it, so painful to see the religious leaders of Jesus' day standing there and coming undone. Jesus is totally upsetting the social order and the religious order. And when the Pharisees saw this, it says, they ask, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, they didn't ask him, notice that. They asked his disciples. Jesus jumps in and he says, let me tell you what's going on here. He says, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is saying there are people who think they are on the inside, but they're not. And there are people who do all the right religious things, but in reality, they don't know or love me. And Jesus says they don't know or love God because if they did, and Hosea, the passage in Hosea makes this really clear, if they did, they would treat people who were on the outside with mercy. They would welcome them and invite them in as I have done to Matthew and his friends. Jesus stands in stark contrast to that way of thinking, to a bounded set mindset. He enters into Matthew's life and he welcomes him and his friends to follow him. Jesus is totally comfortable with people like Matthew and his friends. And just as remarkable, they seem totally comfortable with him. Think about that for a minute. They know Jesus disagrees with their way of life. This is not a watering down of the truth or of holiness or of the gospel. This is a Jesus who doesn't agree with their way of life and their choices, and yet he is there with them. Jesus is uncompromising in his holiness. That's the testimony of scripture. And he is relentless in his love for people. And we see that here. 
And it draws people, even those who are far from God. He loved and was willing to die for even them while they were sinners. That's what Paul says in Romans. He loved and was willing to die for them even while we were sinners. He came for the sick, not the righteous. He came for you. He came for me. He came for the sick, for sinners. And so we are discovering his mercy. And he shows his mercy again and again and again and again. And so it's a beautiful story in one verse, this call of Matthew. And so just to end, I want to I leave with three more questions, three more questions for us. And I want to encourage you maybe to jot these down and really take some time to think through and pray through these on your own or um, with your spouse or with some friends, with your family. And these are the three questions. The first question is, are you moving towards Jesus? Are you moving towards Jesus? How are you responding to the love of Jesus in your life? His grace-filled invitation to follow him. He loves you. And he's inviting you, just like he invited Matthew to follow him. Are you convinced of his love for you? If you are, take another step. Take a step towards him at the center and let him captivate you afresh this week. So the question is, are you moving towards Jesus? Second question is this. Who are you challenged to show mercy toward? Who is it difficult for you to show mercy? Who are the Matthews, in other words, in your own life? People we're tempted to see as out and not in. Who's it hard to imagine at your dinner table? So let me just throw out some hypotheticals. Maybe it's a coworker whose politics infuriate you. (laughs) You just can't stand their views. You can't stand it. Can you imagine them at your dinner table? Can you imagine showing them mercy? What about the transgender person in your neighborhood that makes you feel confused and uncomfortable? Can you imagine that person showing them mercy, inviting them to your table? Maybe it's the friend from college who's been wounded by the church and is vehemently deconstructing their faith and it's breaking your heart. What does it look like to show them mercy? The prophet Hosea said, the Lord desires mercy. So ask the Lord to give you his heart of mercy and take steps towards Matthew's in your life. That's where Jesus is headed. If we're gonna follow him, that's where he's gonna take us. So are you moving towards Jesus? Second, who are you challenged to show mercy toward? And then third, what kind of community do we wanna be here at Apostles? The truth is, if we're being a Jesus-centered community, it's gonna be messy and it's gonna be scandalous and it's gonna upset people and it's gonna upset us. but it's gonna be good and true and beautiful just like it was around every time Jesus gathered with others. People who were serious about religion, they might get upset at a place like Apostles. We wanna be a community where Matthews are welcome and experience God's mercy. A community of radical hospitality, open to people at very different places in their spiritual journey. A community not bound together by shared religion or politics or economic social views, but centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
faithful to him, faithful to his word, walking in his spirit. And so let's ask God to prepare us for those he's bringing to us who are in desperate need of his saving grace and his mercy. What kind of community do we wanna be here at Apostles? So I wanna encourage you, ask those three questions. Are you moving towards Jesus? Who are you challenged to show mercy toward? And what kind of community do we want God to make us here at Apostles? The Lord Jesus is inviting us and he's inviting us as a God of mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. Lord, because as we hear the story of Matthew, Lord, in so many ways we hear our own story. Well, no matter where we were, no matter who we were before we met you, we were far from God. And Jesus, you walked into our life and you said, follow me. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us who have said yes and got up and followed Jesus. Would you help us to continue to follow him? And, Lord, we pray you'd be the center of our lives. And for those who have not yet made that decision, Lord, I pray that they would see who you are in all your beauty and all your truth and in all your mercy. Lord, that they might take that step of faith and move towards Jesus even today. We pray that in his holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.